Are you ready for me to start? It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. We hope you're listening to this podcast inside because it is hot out. And it just started raining. We're recording on Thursday afternoon and sunny skies turn into, gosh, a downpour. Are we getting rain every day now? It feels like it. Yeah. Oh, yeah I see the sun starting to peek out. There must be a rainbow. <laughs> it is hot out there and I'm glad to be inside. I just got back from a couple days at Carolina Beach. I, you know, I'm sitting on this board of directors. You know what's the most frustrating thing is being 50 yards from the ocean, but you're inside a hotel meeting room talking about nonprofit issues. But I was, you know, had a good time, but glad to be back. But you got to go surfing today, right? Yeah, got some good waves this morning. And I'm glad I got out there because the beach really got crowded and, you know, everyone was in the water cooling off. I think first we have to start off, we did have session this week. Just both administrative sessions as we had reported last week because we are reporters. So the four vetoes that are out there, I mean, what does this say? Do you think they wait till later, closer to the election? They're just going to let them ride. Your guess is as good as mine. All right. Well, until then, we'll just come back once a month and see. However, there was a lot of action in courtrooms this week. Politics got into the courtrooms and we... Shocking. Yeah, shocking. By the way, we should say this. We had already recorded last week's podcast when news broke that Attorney General Josh Stein was under a criminal investigation going back to his 2020 win against... Jim O'Neill, the Republican nominee for attorney general. So we just missed that, but we want to revisit this week. And there's been a lot of news since then. But at first, we had heard criminal investigation sounded really bad. This investigation had been open. And interestingly enough, Attorney General Stein, he's the one who went to the reporters and said, hey, there's this criminal investigation against me. But I filed in court, and this was last Thursday, but I filed in court to say that this is unconstitutional and ask for a restraining order on the criminal investigation. So he made the news instead of allowing the news to find out about this investigation. Going back to my graduate school days at UNCG, we call that inoculation. And it's a good technique to use. Go ahead and call the media in, explain what's happening before they find out. But first, before we get into what happened this week, what exactly was the criminal investigation about? So North Carolina has a law on the books that prohibits anyone from, quote, publishing or circulating knowingly false derogatory information about candidates. So this was about an ad that Josh Stein ran against Jim O'Neill that said he was in charge of, or at least partially, to blame for the rape kit backlog. If we were to enforce that law, it seems like we would really need to build a lot more prisons in North <laughs> Carolina. <laughs> well, it certainly is a situation where if people decided to pursue it, there could be way more cases. That dropped Thursday. We get the news, we go through the weekend, and then there was a development this week. What was interesting is this happened, this unfolded Monday afternoon. So he had filed for that temporary restraining order. And the grand jury was going to hear that case at about two o'clock on Monday. And the judge granted his TRO at 1.30. TRO being a temporary restraining order. And so what does that mean in practicality? The criminal investigation ends, it goes away, it's gone? No, there is a pause on it. So the temporary restraining order, I believe it was Catherine Eagles who was the presiding judge. Mm -hmm. She said that Attorney General Stein was likely to win based on his First Amendment argument. So that puts it on pause. But we will have a conclusive hearing later on. And of course, we don't know when that will be. That's right. Another point I want to make about this, and folks thought was interesting, I think is interesting, is that the district attorney here in Raleigh, Lauren Freeman, very well-known DA mm -hmm. throughout the state, she was 
in charge of prosecuting this case. Now, she had recused herself, and so someone else in her office was prosecuting it. But interesting because, one, we know Josh Stein is running for governor, and two, who might be able to run for attorney general? Maybe Lauren Freeman? Daughter of Franklin Freeman, being a former judge himself, and also he was chief of staff to Governor Mike Easley. So yeah, that is an interesting point. It was noticeable to me this week (laughs) that this became partisan on social media. Big shocker. People saying that it was out of bounds for Attorney General Stein to follow this lawsuit. But it seems to me this would be one case that every politician and independent expenditure out there would say, yeah, we support Attorney General Stein here. Campaigns sometimes, oftentimes, kind of fudge the facts. You are an expert on all things sexual assault in North Carolina. Explain to our listeners about the rape kit issue. So in 2018, we had this huge audit that said we had 15,000 untested rape kits in the state. Now, that was the most out of any state at the time, and we've had more kits come in since then. But that audit came from years and years of untested kits. Now, there are different ways that you could submit a rape kit. And so what I would say about that is that there are rape kits at different stages of the process. And there are a lot of people to blame for the way that that went down. There were rape kits sitting in law enforcement agencies in their refrigerators next to people's lunches. There were rape kits sitting in hospitals across the state. And the SBI, the crime lab, when folks were sending rape kits to them, They didn't have space for them, so they would just send them back to wherever they came from, which resulted in a ton of different areas having rape kits. And so that audit went to all the law enforcement agencies and said, how many of these kits do you have sitting around that you know about? And what's interesting from that is once they started testing the kits, the General Assembly funded testing those kits. And there was kind of a working group that was put together to rank, like, we should test these ones first and then these Mm -hmm. ones. And they've had CODIS hits, which is like your national database for DNA. They've had CODIS hits from kits that were 20, 30 years old, cold cases. And it really is important to test the kits. Yeah. So bottom line, the SBI and the crime lab is really to blame. There are a lot of people to blame, but yes. Do you feel like we have gotten over that hump? Are we now operating the way we should be operating there's still quite a backlog when you go and get your rape kit right now we do have a law that says you can track your rape kit similar to how you track your amazon package however that isn't going to come to fruition for right now we're looking at about a one to two year process Mm. so it's not like wow we really expedited justice but we are testing those old kits and prioritizing So Attorney General Stein's case and the criminal investigation wasn't the only court news we got this week. We've been talking about that 20-week abortion ban, and you heard that Attorney General Stein from us, (laughs) he was not going to ask the court to enforce that. But this week, the General Assembly did ask the court to do so. So what is that process? Did they file a lawsuit? They filed a brief today. Again, it's Thursday. They filed a brief. They were not parties to the case, so they had to file a brief in the case. And then finally, today, as we were turning on these microphones to record, we got news that there was a party line vote at the North Carolina State Supreme Court around redistricting. That's right. It's hard to keep up with all the redistricting cases, but this is Harper v. Hall, and the plaintiffs in the case asked the Supreme Court to expedite this court hearing process because of the public interest, etc. And on a party line vote, they agreed that they would hear that in October. So there's got to be a calculation, right? That go ahead and get this hearing done in October prior to the November election, prior to when many expect that Republicans will take the majority at the Supreme Court level. You might recall, maybe last year on the podcast, when there were some rumors about Governor Cooper being looked at for a vice president position, some national stuff. We talked about that a little bit. And on Wednesday morning, we saw a Slate Magazine article 
that really highlighted their opinions on Governor Cooper. Yeah, it was an article kind of featuring all of the front runners that are being mentioned as a Joe Biden replacement. Senator Amy Klobuchar was one of the mentions and, of course, Governor Cooper. So they were going through the whole list of all of the contenders, contenders. Yeah, going through their pros and cons. And it was somewhat of a tongue in cheek article, at least as it pertained to Governor Cooper. Here's how they described him in this late article. This is not a rising star modern politician. This is the leader of an evangelical congregation in 1966. (laughs) This is a guy who thinks Jimmy Carter is too rock and roll. This is what it would look like if a sweater designed a human. (laughs) This is an advertisement to scare teenagers into using drugs. It was humorous. I could see him on the national stage. Look, he is not going to light crowds on fire. He's very measured in the way he talks. He has a very steady cadence. I will say this about Governor Cooper. The man sticks to a message. I don't think Governor Cooper has ever come out of an interview where he doesn't use a subject, a verb, and Medicaid expansion in everything he says. It was a funny article. I took it that way. I don't know how he takes it. I wonder if he reads these things because you got to read this and you're like, look, I'm not a sweater. (laughs) I think I'd seen that they'd asked the governor's office for comment on it and they did not comment on the article. But this is interesting because last week you and I talked about this with one of our clients, how Cooper is rumored to run for higher office or federal office. And there was a Twitter feed where they'd ranked the most popular governors in the country, and he was number 30. So we think of him as being like Mm -hmm. really high up, but his favorables weren't as good as maybe you would think they would be. Well, if I was the governor's comms team, I would put him in a sweater, have him over at the mansion. He needs to have a video where he addresses this slate article. (laughs) This sweater right here designed me. Yeah. They say all press is good press, so that's a good thing he's being mentioned. In what appears to be a continuing saga for Representative Greer Martin's seat, there was a new appointment announced. Tim Longest actually will be on the ballot in November. This is their number two, I guess. We reported it last week, their nominee announced that he was not running in the November election, but Tim Longus, he will be on the ballot. As we talked about last week, Jack Nichols, Raleigh attorney, he is serving out the rest of the term for Representative Martin, who's now working at the Pentagon in the Biden administration. And Jack Nichols was sworn in this week in that administrative hearing. So welcome to the General Assembly, Representative Nichols, and we look forward to working with you if we have any substantive meetings this year. People who follow me on Twitter might recall that I gave (laughs) Travis Fain in the last days of session a 5 out of 10 outfit rating because he had a TV tie on top and his Hoka running shoes on bottom. And we talked to him all the time at the General Assembly. We talked to him that day. And last week we sat down with Travis to talk about his life and career. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Travis Fain, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. To start us off, tell folks what you do, who you are, and what what is your day-to-day like? I am a state government reporter for WRAL, which is a little broader than that, really. I cover any number of political issues. Uh, for the station, most of what I do is online at nccapital.com, uh, though they do let me on TV sometimes to try to explain things. Uh, which, of course, can be very complicated, uh, as you know, in state government. I've been a reporter 20-something years. It was newspapers before this job. This is the first TV job I've ever had. Though, again, most of it's online. And uh, I've worked in Georgia, Virginia, and North Carolina, covering legislatures in all three. 
you were in Greensboro for a while. Seems like that's when I moved. I worked for the news and record in Greensboro right. uh, back somewhere in the 2010s, and that was my last job before I moved to Virginia. And then, of course, I moved back here, and it's been five years back here now. I remember when I first met you, you called me about a story. You introduced yourself, and you said, I'm the poor man's Mark Binker. Do you remember saying that? <laughs> I don't, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty apt description, so kudos I, to me for coming up with it. <laughs> you would, I think you followed him at the News and Record. You kind of have this theme, right, because he went to WREL. You, next, your next job is at The Insider, I guess. That's, that's right. I went from the Winston-Salem Journal into Mark's job, uh, what had been his job in Greensboro when he became the NC Insider. Uh, or no, when he went to WREL, excuse me. And then mm -hmm. when he went to, from WREL to The Insider, uh, I replaced him at WREL. I remember talking to him about taking this job uh and then he died just shortly after yeah it was a tragedy yeah we want to get to your career but we would like to learn a little bit about travis fane's life growing up i grew up in smyrna georgia which was a uh, kind of one of the first one of the kind of more original suburbs of atlanta i went to the university of georgia i studied journalism almost by default and went and worked for a newspaper. First job was Greenville, North Carolina. So brothers and sisters? Yeah, I got uh, one brother and two sisters. I'm the oldest of four. When did it click for you that you wanted to be a journalist? Or did you even want to be a journalist when you were younger? No, it was, it was almost by default. I, uh, you know, I had been good at reading and writing in high school and in college didn't really know what I wanted to do but and there are a limited number of ways to make a living writing uh, particularly if you don't have you know fiction in your head if you don't have ideas that they can grow into something and I did not so, so you don't have ideas I that is I'm the perfect journalist I have no ideas <laughs> so I just relay uh, other ideas from other people so how did you get started in state house reporting it just seemed like a way to move up in the business. You know, so much of journalism is covering government. So I would, you know, I started out as a cops reporter and then I became a local government reporter and then I covered bigger local governments. And then uh, I was at the Macon Telegraph in Georgia and that's about 90 minutes south, a little less of Atlanta. And the person who had been covering the legislature left and I said, why don't you just send me up there for four months, you know, pay for an apartment? Because unlike some places, Georgia's legislative session is fairly predictable. And so I did that, and I kind of enjoy legislatures, although that is <laughs> maybe becoming less and less so with each passing year. <laughs> so what was the craziest cop story you have? Oh, I, 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 there were a lot of them. I, the very first or maybe second day was an election day, and I remember sitting, adding up election totals. I was the brand new guy. And the scanner went off, and I went to my first murder scene. And it was a, he was not dead when I got there. Wow. And it was very tense, very scary. There was a TV news crew there and taping, and, and they used as the B-roll. Part of the scene, you can just see me white as a sheet, mm. walking around, not really knowing what I'm doing. So when I started at the General Assembly, the press room was right there on the first floor. And this is going back to 2001. That press room was full of journalists. Barry Smith covering Alamance County. You had a Wilmington reporter, Charlotte Raleigh, Winston-Salem, Greensboro, Mark Binker covered Greensboro. Today, it feels like so much consolidation in the business right now. You got opinions about that? More would be better, but we, we lose what we don't value, and mm -hmm. people don't really value uh, state government coverage. Uh, they don't consume it uh, as much or in a, in a way that it makes business sense to mm -hmm. throw resources at it. And, we're, and I, I think we're lucky that WRAL and I mean, also the News and Observer, and there, there are other outlets too. I mean, hell, Rose Hoban mm -hmm. started an entire nonprofit to write about health news. It's not like that was a big money-making idea. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're lucky that there are people who say, this is important and we're going to put resources toward it. Because it is important. Yeah. I mean, from a practical level, this is how I saw it play out. So I lived at the time in Alamance County. Alice Bortson, representative. She was a Democrat. Carrie Allred, Republican. Uh, Tony Forrest, Democrat. And then before him, Hugh Webster. I remember you would take them a bill to work on. They would 
talk about the politics of the bill, whether it was good policy, but inevitably they would also say, how's Barry Smith going to cover this in the, in the newspaper? It is impossible for me to imagine that conversation today. You know, maybe there are people who are like, well, how is Travis going to cover this? Or how is Don Vaughn going to cover this, et cetera. But uh, that seems distant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason is, you know, what what does Warren Daniel care about? What what WRAL right. says, uh, right. just to grab an example from, from, from someone who's kind of far away from the, the Capitol. They care about what their local folks in their district are reading. So your first state house that you covered was Georgia. That's right, yeah. And tell us something unique about covering Georgia Statehouse. I enjoyed it. I, it. It was all Republicans, a Republican governor and Republican Senate, a Republican House, and they fought all the time. That was a really interesting dynamic. Uh, the Georgia Capitol is beautiful. Uh, it's covered uh, with gold at the top, the gold dome, mm-hmm. they call it. Uh, but inside, it's just absolutely gorgeous. And in the Senate, I really like this. We had assigned seats with a little table. And so there was a little bronze plaque that said the Macon Telegraph. And I said at that, that feels important. And I think a sense of place can affect the way the people in that place act. And so I like these very ornate places that we, you know, I also worked in Virginia's capital and I, you know, it's probably not a secret to anyone who's talked to me, my feelings about the North Carolina (laughs) legislative (laughs) building. So I really enjoyed the sense of place and history that Mm -hmm. I got. And plus, you know, it's my home state, so it was it was special. North Carolina feel like home now. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, my kids were born in Winston Salem. Yeah. Uh, we moved to Greensboro a little while after that. So the first time they slid down a slide was in Greensboro. It was, I won't say heartbreaking, but it was tough to move to Virginia. We had fallen in love, kind of without knowing it, with North Carolina, and then of course we moved to Virginia, and it was hard to leave there and, and to come here. So maybe I just connect. With, with, with places. Is that why you moved back to North Carolina? Because your family felt a sense of connection here or the job? No, I worked for a newspaper uh, and would have been laid off eventually had I not moved. So it was, all these moves are all, all job related. Just I have to make a little bit more money. I, if you're not moving, sometimes you die. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember when I left the Daily Press in Virginia, the editor and publisher called me up and said, I wish you weren't leaving. Why are you leaving? I said, well, you know, I'm the only person you have in Richmond. I look like a line item that can just lift right out. I'm going to get laid off before too long. And she said, no, no, we wouldn't do that to you. Roughly six months later, she was laid off. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that's not just Richmond. This is the newspaper business. We are seeing newsrooms getting smaller and smaller. Right. And I don't see anything reversing that trend. So it's nice. I work for a family-owned company now at WRAL and... I'm safer. Can we talk about that transition going from the news and record to WREL? Now, I have to admit, when I talk to you and see you, maybe this is because this is how we first met, I see a newspaper guy. Right, yeah. And I know you do a lot of writing, mostly writing, but had to be a tough transition or at least give you pause, right? Yeah. (laughs) And they made it easy for me. They slow walked me into it. There was a lot of handholding introducing me to television. And what I, what I've learned is, is just how important the logistics of television are. You're, you're so dependent on the, on the photographer, on the editor, on the, there are all these people that it takes to make television happen. And you have got to hit your times. You've got to get what they need from you to them. And and when, if you're on TV at four 15, you are on TV at 4.15, brother. And it does not really matter how prepared you are at that point it, because that thing goes live and you, you better start talking. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that really took some getting used to. But I think once I learned that lesson and I learned to, to be early and to take 10 minutes to kind of compose myself and think, here's what I'm going to say. Here's how I'm going to say it. Breathe. And don't look, you know, all sweaty. <laughs> 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 if, if, if you're going to do TV, and I mean, you guys have done TV, you, you don't want to roll into the station from the parking lot doing up your tie and, uh-huh. and, and sweating on your brow. You, you, you know, you got to sit there and put your makeup on. And... Have you ever goofed? Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Is there a reel out there of uh, Travis Fane goofs? I don't think so. Thank goodness. <laughs> but, yeah, I, the first time I tried to use a teleprompter, oh, that, that didn't go well. But I learned, you know, I learned lessons from it. And the, and the folks at WRL, they have been so helpful. And I think that's true of life. You know, you have all these people, and you, either because they're on TV or because of some other context, you think of them, like, oh, look at that person. But if you just ask them for help, they, they'll probably help you. And I, I find that to be true at WRL. I find it to be true in life. Last weekend, you are anchoring the on-the-record public affairs segment that you guys do on Saturday evenings. I see a polished TV journalist. So you go from uh, feeling a little discombobulated your first outing, but now you're at the anchor desk hosting a 30-minute segment. I, I wouldn't say, though, I don't feel discombobulated. I, You know, it is... It is a skill. It is a muscle that you have to learn how to flex. And, uh, you know, everybody gets imposter syndrome, right? So Mm -hmm. I I feel like a pretender every time. So let's move to North Carolina and our politics here. So you're at the state house every day. How do you decide what stories you're going to cover? And like, what does your day look like? It starts the night before. Um, Laura Leslie, who, of course, is my partner in crime. And uh, I shouldn't have said crime. (laughs) We're innocent. (laughs) (laughs) She, she, and bless her for doing this, will typically go through uh, what's happening next, all the meetings, and, and that's where the sifting begins, right? Is, all right, here's time, 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 meeting, 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 bill, bill, bill. And then we just start sifting, and we try to be as many places as we can. We try to talk to as many people as we can. And then we just kind of, all right, I got this, you got that, yada, 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 and it just kind of comes together. Um, sometimes there's an obvious story of the day. Sometimes there are bills we know we need to watch, uh, but sometimes things turn on a dime and you just try to be ready for that. And you probably also have folks like us even trying to like pitch you, like cover our story on our bill. How do you make determinations on that? Absolutely. I, I have a saying, you know, either it's news or it's not. Mm-hmm. And I will listen to anybody. And, you know, I, I have some people that I'll go to them on a story that maybe is critical of them. And I'll say, what about this? So-and-so told me this. And I can't believe you talked to so-and-so. I talked to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, just because someone is a partisan or a hack or, I mean, it doesn't mean they're not, they don't have information. So, mm-hmm. you know, we just sift through the information and go from there. So you must have, like lobbyists, you have sources that you use inside the building. Talk about that line of you have journalism standards. You need to hold legislators accountable, but you also need to have access to legislators. Can you talk a little bit about that? I try to be friendly, but not friends. Got it. I, I think just being nice to people, no matter what, helps. Um, it is hard, though. I mean, you know, you, you talk to people enough, and you, you, you kind of you get to know them, and you don't want to stab them in the back because they've, you know, defrauded the public. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if they defrauded the public, that needs to be out there. So, Mm -hmm. and and that's obviously a pretty extreme example. It's not like I've written 16 stories about people defrauding the public regularly, but you just have to separate it. You just have to be friendly, but not friends. What would you say is your favorite part of your job and your least favorite part? My favorite part of the job. The, The least favorite part is probably the unpredictable nature of it. The hours that it takes. I mean, it's nice that it's always something different, but when you're sitting there kind of waiting on one caucus or the other to, to figure out what they want to do so that the day can move forward and you're just thinking about, you know, life's full of opportunity cost, right? And we choose to do this and we have, that means we don't do other things, including time with family, time with friends, whatever you want to fill your day with. Uh, it is not a lot of fun sitting outside the house at 1030 at night Mm-hmm. wondering if they will vote for this or that. I, I do kind of like things that feel self-contained. I've always thought that I would enjoy working at a major hotel, for example, or at a convention center mm-hmm. where it's almost a world unto itself. We've got a client for you then. <laughs> I knew a pitch would come. <laughs> and, and, but state legislatures are like that, right? Where it's this, this own, and I mean, it. When they don't meet for an entire year and just get totally sick of each other, at the end of it, it's kind of like camp is be, is over. That I always feel like when when the people are given the the, the end of the year speeches, I feel like oh, camp is wrapping up. We're gonna go home to our parents. Mm-hmm. So I guess I like that. 
Let's talk a little bit since you brought it up about your kids and that determination on staying at the General Assembly or going home, like how that work-life balance happens. And also, do they like watching you on TV? They watch me on TV. I don't know that they like it. They, <laughs> they, they'll comment upon it every now and then. I mean, let's face it, though. what The stuff I cover is pr- pretty bland a lot of times. Um, and they're 10. So they're twins, a boy and a girl. So there's not a, a, a ton for them to get out of it. Um, I mean, it's tough. I mean, it, it, sometimes I just feel like, well, it's my job to be here. There, I, I, I never trust a quorum. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just let quorums hang out without anybody watching them. And it happens to be my job to watch them. Um, luckily, and I mean, with the pandemic, I've worked from home a ton. There's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that's streamed. There, there are definitely times where we'll look at uh, the legislature's going late tonight, but it's not huge. You know, it's some sort of delay that's not on a huge bill. We'll monitor that from home. We'll just listen to the audio feed or the video feed, and that'll be fine. You know, I, I was listening to y'all's last week pie with Neil Inman, and mm-hmm. he got a very similar question. He just said, well, that's the job. And he's right. That's, that's the job, and that's, that's why you see people burn out on it and, and, and leave, and we got to cycle people through these jobs. Just like anything else, there are a lot of hard jobs out there. What do you do for Travis Fain as far as how do you, what do you enjoy outside of this work? I like going for walks in the woods. Mm-hmm. We live close to Umstead. Okay. I like that. Um, I like, we have a little basketball hoop in the yard now. I shoot with my son. My daughter and I go out every Sunday. We try to go eat sushi okay. or some meal. Um, you know, date nights every now and then with, with my wife, although those are, you know, kind of rare and have been during the pandemic. We're coming out of that and trying to get out there a little bit more. Oh, we have nice neighbors. Mm-hmm. My family's kind of far away. I hate that. But what are you going to do? When we're in the really hectic time of session, my wife always asks me every day as I'm leaving the house, what time are you going to be home? And I say, it could be six. It could be 11. It could be any time. Is that how your day is as well? Do you- yeah. And try explaining that every day to people who have to have a story on at 415 or 605 <laughs> right you know and they're just like well what what's happening I'm like, i don't know you know i'm going to know at some point i'll know what's happening yeah. probably yeah unless nothing happens or also i could call you and you know you need to re- rearrange things in the entire newscast i don't know yeah so i mean it's a lot of that you just don't know Before we started recording, you and I were talking and I was asking, we were kind of just talking about like your morning and you said the first thing you do is you read the news. How do you decide what you're going to read and what you need to share with others in your organization? How do you make that determination? These days, a lot of it is, is, you know, newsletters, aggregated products, Twitter too. I've stopped looking at the NCGA and NCPAL hashtags. Oh. I don't do that anymore. I, I, I now work off of uh, lists primarily of other journalists, which you know I know that narrows the band, but I just had to. It just is enough. I, 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 so I, you're done fighting with people on Twitter? <laughs> yes. I, I would argue that I was not ever much of a fighter. Um, um, I, I might have ended a few fights. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to be careful what you, what, what you say, um, and you have to be fair to people. And sometimes the, the limited amount of characters that Twitter gives you does not allow, obviously, for nuance or for fairness. So, you know, I, I, I kind of have a, a one-reply maximum. I try not to get into running conversations with people on Twitter. I just feel like so many people are out there arguing in bad faith anyway. There's no need to feed that. In the last, I don't know how long, we have, as a society, begun to kind of vilify media in general. How have you seen that change throughout your career, and how has that impacted you personally? That's a good question, how it's changed. I mean, I guess people are more vocal about it. I mean, I certainly, when I started out and was a decade into this business, would not have imagined going to a presidential campaign rally where people have like the, the t-shirt that says, you know, rope and tree, just add journalist. I mean, Mm -hmm. good grief, man. Like what I do to you. Um, this idea of, you know, the enemy of the people, I, I, we have this way about us as, as people where we, we seem to just, no one wants to get painted with the same brush, and yet we all do that. And I mean, people are like, the media this, the media that. And when you drill down on what they really mean, it, it's kind of a nonsensical word. It doesn't mean anything. The, the media doesn't mean anything because they're talking about CNN mm-hmm. and MSNBC but they're, and maybe the New York Times, but they're not. I mean, it's a broad spectrum that's out there. Um, so 
there's a lot of anger that has boiled up. And I think people also have unrealistic expectations for the media. You know, no one expects perfection from most industries. And yet, yet if the media gets something wrong, it's just terrible. And we got to be right, but we're all just kind of human and doing our best out here. And we correct our mistakes pretty regularly. I don't, you know, what's another industry where they're like, hey, 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 I messed something up. I want to make sure everyone knows about it. And of course, there are bad actors in the media like, like anywhere else. In the age of social media and stuff, how has your news coverage changed? And, you know, what other are you using Instagram, TikTok, etc.? How has that like changed the way that you write and present stories? A lot of it is reactive to social media in a way that is probably not healthy. Social media drives too much and Twitter drives too much because I mean, who's on Twitter? bunch of journalists and lobbyists and staffers and, and people who follow things very closely. It is not representative of society and thus the audience. Um, I don't use TikTok. I've, I've got an Instagram. I don't believe I've ever posted to it. Uh, Twitter is pretty much it. I have Facebook. That's more for you know family pictures, stuff like that. Keeping track of who is and is not successful from my high school. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> why Facebook exists. And... So it's all Twitter for me, as and, and I'm trying to move more on Twitter. Just I have put put out there what I've got for people to consume, and, and and trying to leave it at that because I just feel like it is a somewhat toxic echo chamber uh, that I don't want to drive too much of it. It's also a wonderful source of information, um, and I will often just tweet, "Hey, who knows something about this?" Mm-hmm. And you know, hopefully they reach out to me and I vet them and say, yeah, they do know about this. And that, that can be very helpful. So. We talked earlier, the press room has gone from the first floor, which was right across the hall from the press room where press conferences are held. And you've been moved down to the basement. We notice that you tend to write your stories up on the second floor or just wherever. We see you in committee writing stories. You don't like really- this. <laughs> Loud as hell, man. (laughs) Sometimes journalism is just about letting people know you're there. Okay, well, you've let me know. I'm on notice. Go ahead, Brian. You're just throughout the building writing your stories. You tell us, I'm I'm tuning everything out. I'm just writing a story. Do you spend much time down in the basement? Sure, yeah, yeah. I like to go down there. This is a wonderful press corps that people have here. And, And it can be very collaborative, even though we're competitors in many ways. And so I, I like to spend time in the press room because I hear from other folks, you know, you can just, you'll be writing a story, you'll come to us in that you don't know, you'll be like, well, what happened in this committee? And someone will have been there and, 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 and tell you and send you in the right direction. So I, yeah, I do spend a good bit of time in the press room, but I like to work outside of the press room as well because, I mean, you know, news rarely walks in mm-hmm. uh, into that room, into the, into the press room. And if I've told you I'm tuning things out, I might have... <laughs> fudge that just a a little bit because I definitely try to keep one ear on the the chatter in the hallways the press corps we talk about it in generalities but it's also an organized group I think you guys have leadership right Don Vaughn is the president of the Capital Press Association so their job or her job is to kind of be the spokesperson or at least the negotiator maybe with the leadership to get access. Are there things that the General Assembly leadership could do to make your job a little easier? And if so, what would those be? We could use chairs in hallways, Mm -hmm. you know, and and maybe tables in certain places. I mean, there's just a logistics to, to the job. And I mean, in the committee rooms, there's limited space for the press, which is fine. I, I, I don't like the press having significantly more or better access than the general public. Okay. There's some level that is certainly helpful. Like if I have a place to put my laptop where I can type without it, without it being in my lap and causing me back problems, oh man, that would be, that's, that's nice. Um, but generally speaking, other than a little small accommodations like that, I want it to be the same as the public. This is a niche question, but... This is a niche podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us the story of the foobar in the press room. You know, I don't know where that started. That predates me pretty significantly. Okay, so tell us what it is and who gets to move it. 
So it, it's a meter that, and, and if people don't know what FUBAR uh, stands for, I'm sure they can look it up. F-U-B-A-R, <laughs> it stands for something, each letter. And it's just kind of a measure of the level of craziness and chaos at the state legislature at any given moment. Any member of the press corps can move it when there's, I guess we, we rule by a majority vote, I guess. I don't know. It's not super formal. We just okay. kind of decide how nutty things are. Uh, at, at a given moment, and we, we express that with a number. So when would you say that it was like the craziest day where the FUBAR went off the chart? Well, so I think it goes up to 10, but someone at some point tacked on like all the way to 14. There's like, mm-hmm. it's a wooden meter, and then there's like a paper or a manila mm-hmm. folder or something tacked it. So I wasn't there for that, but I whenever that got added, that must have been... And I imagine it was late at night. I think it was lottery, as if I remember correctly. The lottery. Old school. Travis, where do you think your future is in journalism? I don't know. I I think short and medium term, it's certainly with WRL. I'm under Mm -hmm. contract uh, and just want to continue to try to get better, uh, to continue to try to make what I do more accessible to more people. Um, I think that's somewhere where I fail a lot is kind of making it accessible to the average person and explaining why it matters and picking things that do matter mm-hmm. as opposed to, 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 to stories where at the end of the day, I think, eh, you know, I don't know how this helped. I mean, it, people might be slightly better informed about a certain issue. Yeah. I'm here to stay until I'm not. Do you see yourself exclusively on TV at some point in your career? Probably not, mm-hmm. but I don't know that anybody, you know, that, that, that will become more and more rare. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of the, the the daily folks who just who do who need to turn a story pretty much every day i mean even they uh, if they have not been called upon to do so yet will be called upon in the future to uh, write for the internet mm-hmm. and to you know podcast and to tweet and you know it's it's a tapestry so if you had a magic wand and you could change one thing in our politics today what would it be the grudges that are held in politics are unhealthy. I'm tired of hearing a Republican majority that has been in place for 10 years justify some of the process things they do by talking about people who are dead mm-hmm. and how they were treated when they were in the minority. Um, at some point, that's got to end. Um, and then also, you know, Republicans often talk about y'all need to assume better intentions. Mm-hmm. As opposed to thinking, oh, they're, you know, so-and-so is doing this because they're basically a bad person. And, you know, chances are they just think there's, they want to get to a similar goal that you do, but they think there's a different way to, to, to go there. So I think assuming good intentions until the other party makes that impossible uh, is good. I don't know that that's the, you know, the magic wand, given a magic wand, exactly what I would change. I don't I'm not quite sure. Well, Travis Fain, reporter for WREL, we appreciate everything you do for the state covering North Carolina politics. You certainly know how to do journalism better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. All right. Appreciate it. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. There was a time in my life I thought about going to journalism school. I wrote for our college newspaper at UNCG, covered sports, covered student government. I just really had the bug for journalism and ended up taking a different path going into lobbying. But I've always been fascinated by the work of journalists. I admire the work they do. I know they don't always get it right. But These folks are so key to our democracy, holding legislators accountable, informing voters of what is happening in the public square. Sitting down with Travis was really fun. He is a great guy. He's a smart guy. He's a little crusty at times. (laughs) (laughs) We appreciate him being on the podcast. Tweet Tweet of of the the week. week.
This week's tweet of the week is a quote tweet, actually, from Seth Palmer. He's at Seth underscore Palmer on Twitter. And the original tweet was from Colin Campbell. And it said, New Hanover County Commissioner and former state senator switches parties as she faces legal troubles. And Seth's quote tweet of it said, I've watched Julia's political career for the better part of the past decade. And this is surprisingly not the craziest part. No, it is not. Julia Bozeman, she is the chair of the county commission in New Hanover County. Now, I first met Senator Bozeman when she was a state senator representing that area. She was the first openly gay legislator in the General Assembly for the first session. She really lit it on fire. Her passion was the film tax credits down in New Hanover County. But Sky, Senator Bozeman had a way of getting her personal life into the media, went through so a nasty divorce. And, you know, just the allegations and all of it was just so tawdry and you just couldn't resist. But she finally left the General Assembly, I believe, in 2010, and she gets involved in local politics. Now, many of us thought she's done, right? She, I mean, all of this stuff of marijuana use and all of this is in the paper. Can she come back? And she did. So she gets elected to the county commission, but got into some legal problems as it pertained to her law practice and the trust fund. And apparently she did not respond to a court order and they are holding her in contempt. She loses her reelection. I know this, that she registered as an unaffiliated voter right after the election. And then she goes to the Republican Party and makes the statement that she feels more in line with Republican economic values. It's been a mess, but don't count Senator Bozeman out. She will be back. I guarantee you she will be back, and she'll also get in trouble again, but (laughs) she will be back. So earlier this week, you had informed me that the podcast was number 18 in what country? I think Azerbaijan. I can't pronounce it, but yeah, we're number 18 over there. The Neil Inman podcast, by the way, is red hot over there. Goddess. I think we went from number 34 to number 18. Neil, thank you. We're thinking of taking the podcast to Azerbaijan and uh, maybe doing a live show there. (laughs) Which... Took me to our ratings and reviews on Apple. I had been not mentioning that (laughs) to you because I knew it would light you up. This is like reading mean tweets. Uh But somebody, June 4th, they gave us two stars, actually. So not one star, but two stars (laughs) with the title, Lobbyist, No Thanks. We're grateful for the extra star guy. You're going to read this? Yeah. Okay. He said... I have to assume it's a he, sorry. He said, NC politics would be better without lobbyists influencing our legislators' decisions. I felt like our democracy eroded a bit with each episode and can't stomach this pod any longer. Sir, this is not an airport. You do not need to announce your departure. Just leave. (laughs) We have some really great reviews on there too, though. So if you want to drown out this person, feel free to leave us a nice review. Yeah. And And if you leave a mean one. (laughs) Help us with the stars, too. Like, give us five, give us four, but come on, one or two. Look, we're we're working hard on the podcast here. Yeah, we're doing our best, okay, guys? Yeah. (laughs) Everybody gets a trophy. Here's the thing. How can you say that our democracy is eroding when you're listening to the Do Politics Better podcast? podcast we talk we're positive here we're talking about things that you know i think bring us together we need to have a dialogue yeah i think we're spending too much time on this guy all right loser let's move on let's move on let's move on so sunday afternoon i get a text from brian he listened to a podcast Mm -hmm. about tim mcgraw Mm -hmm. and now he's going to be tim mcgraw he was on fresh air terry gross And it was a great interview. It was about his, you know, he's on this TV show, Yellowstone, and he talked about his father, Tug McGraw, and that strained relationship. But then she started in about his health and him turning his life around after he saw a movie in which he had 
gained about 40 pounds. He didn't really realize how big he looked. And he decided that he was going to do things differently. And it really spoke to me. And so it got me down this Tim McGraw rabbit hole. And I'm kind of obsessed with Tim McGraw now. Now I only know one song. Yeah, so we're in the car. We're in the car on Monday. And Brian's like, play some Tim McGraw. So I played Tim McGraw. And I played Tim McGraw's most popular song. It's not uh, Live Like You're Dying. No. No, it was some other song. What was the song? It's a song called Something Like That. I didn't know the song, but I do know that Tim McGraw. Okay. Everybody knows that song. All right. Well, I'm going to know it too. I I put it on my, uh, you know, Amazon Music. So I'll listen to it. Back to Amazon Music. Don't get me started. (laughs) I really related to him when he talked about seeing, you know, himself on the big screen. Not that I've ever seen myself on the big screen, but, (laughs) you know, when I see photographs of myself, I'm like, am I really that big? Like, is that my belly? And so I have been channeling Tim McGraw. He's 55. I'm 50, about to turn 51. But I want to get shredded like him. Good luck. Yeah. So Tim McGraw, Senator Danny Britt, watch out. Brian Lewis is coming for you. I'm coming for you. I'm going to be the new guy. They go, man, look at Brian Lewis. He's, He's more fit than Danny Britt. Plus one for working Danny Britton. <laughs> <laughs> you got to. Hey, you're going on vacation next week. <laughs> I would like someone to kill me first. <laughs> so you're taking a family trip to, wait for it, wait for it. Florida. Florida. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> who, who goes to Florida in early August? Sky David's family. Idiots. <laughs> You got some kids, so they're going to enjoy Disney World and all of that, standing Mm -hmm. in line, Mm -hmm. waiting for a fast You know what I love? Crowds. Yeah, (laughs) crowds. Well, you'll be gone next week. I'm going to have a special guest next week. Help Mm. me host the podcast. That's going to be fun. We'll announce that next week. We also have a special guest who is conducting an interview for us next week. Wow, we're really teasing next week hard. Mm -hmm. This special guest is interviewing you. Yep, I'm not (laughs) looking forward to hearing that. I probably will not listen. Well, it's going to be good. It was hard to get you to agree to do this. You were a little nervous about Even during the interview, I tried to stop it. But you finally agreed to do it and you sat down and it was a fun interview. We get to learn a lot about you. Can you talk about this next week? Not right now. No, I want to talk about it. You're making me anxious talking about it now too. Why do you not want to talk about yourself? You like just being a mystery? Not a mystery. It's just I'm I'm not interesting, one. And two, I'm just a private person. Who has a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You know who loves talking about themselves? Me. Yeah, Right. I'm sorry. Are you Brian Lewis or Tim McGraw? <laughs> I have my binoculars on. I can't tell. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Let me suck in my cheeks here. <laughs> that was a real Zoolander vibe. <laughs> that's what I call blue steel. Yep. That's me, Tim McGraw. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you would like to drown out that one person, feel free to leave us a review. Rate us five stars, preferably. If you don't like us, as I said, you can keep it to yourself. We will talk to y'all next week, or Brian will talk to y'all next week. But in the meantime, please remember to do politics better.